You know, when we talk about the church, you know, how often is it, you know, I'm getting ready, I'm going to church. And it's, you know, it's like we think of, you know, the church as, as this right here. This is the church. We can come to church. But it's a whole lot more than just coming to church. This isn't really what Jesus had in mind when he was talking about church. It wasn't just about a place that you would go to. That's not what Jesus was talking about. That's not, not, not to say that this, the gathering in of the saints is opposed to what Jesus was saying, but it's not the, the gathering in and, and the fact that we would come to a building. That is not what Jesus meant when he said, I'm going to build a church. It wasn't about a building. It was about a people. It was about, it was about the, the people that he would come and he would fill them with his spirit and there would be a body that would, that would come that would be not just in one specific city. But he said, when you're filled with my spirit, it's gonna happen there in Jerusalem. But then you're gonna go out and you're gonna bring it into Judea. Okay? He was telling his disciples this, and and uh, he said, you're going to start off in Jerusalem. That's where I'm going to send my spirits, in Jerusalem. This is in Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 1. If, if uh, We don't have any of these scriptures here on, on, on the handout, so I don't know if we're going to go with this or not. Uh, I just want to tell you what I feel God, God lead me. In Acts chapter 1, he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem... I want you to wait because I'm going to send you my spirit. I'm going to leave you physically, but I'm not going to leave you in the spirit. And so he said, I will fill you with my spirit. And when I do so, it's so that you can begin to accomplish that which I started when I came to earth. Jesus came to earth so that not, not to just complete something, but to start something. And he started the church. Jesus started the church, but he did so by filling them with his spirit there in Jerusalem. And he said, then you're going to go to Judea, which is like saying Kendallville and then Indiana. He said, I'm going to go beyond just the one city and we're going to go to the region. We're going to go to the to the region beyond you and not not just the region of Indiana but we're going or the region of Judea but we're going to go to Samaria or the places that that you look as as being the, the you know where the the outsiders live we're we're expanding this thing and then he said this is going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth well, God's plan from the very beginning was for a global church. It was for a global church. And so when we get in our mind this, this concept of, of the church, sometimes we can think pretty small. But the church is a global endeavor. The church is 
a, a, a church that is, is so diverse. It is, it is so wide, uh, widespread that God, He is working all over the globe right now. There are so many things that are happening right now in the church that we don't even get reports of. We have no idea what God is doing, but there is revival breaking out in China. There's revival that's breaking out in Brazil. There's revival that's breaking out in Africa. There's revival that's taking place in Ukraine and in Russia, in places that, that this message, it, it should not even, uh, or it is not even tolerated to be, uh, spread there by the governments, but God has a purpose and God has a way of, of building His church. It's happening. It's a diverse church. And so what is it? What, what role do we play in that? What role do we play in the church? I want to, let's, let's go here to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, verse, verses 1 through 16. And this, uh, in this passage, we, it's, it's really just a, uh, list that, that, or a, a greeting that Paul begins to extend. Paul, the writer of Romans. Begins to extend a greeting to all these different people in all these different churches. And he says here, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who's a servant of the church in Sincrea, that you may, that, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner that's worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she's been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. He begins naming, first of all, we, we notice Phoebe, a, a woman here, a sister, who he says she's doing a great work here. I want you to accept her. You don't know her, but I, she has my recommendation to come in. And, and then also Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and wife team, who he says are my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Let's go to verse 4. They risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all of the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Achaia was, was a, another region like, like Judea. This is a, a region there in, in, uh, in, in the, the Roman, uh, Greek, uh, empire there. And, and he's, he's, uh, saying, I, I want you to, to meet this man who was the first one, the first one from this region to come to Christ. Now I want you to greet Mary who labored much for us. Notice we have men, we have women that are mentioned here. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen, my fellow prisoners who were of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countryman. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tri uh, Tryphna and Trophosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Verse 13, greet 
Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother in mine, and greet Asyncritus, Affligan, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus, and Julia, and Nereus, and sister, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Maybe not your typical passage that you might kickstart a message with. That's a whole lot of names of people. And we have no idea what impact they had on the church. But they must have had a tremendous impact. As Paul begins to list their names and he's saying, Hey, I want to tell you about this one and this one and this one and this one. Oh yeah, maybe you've heard about the stories of, of what they've done. And maybe you've heard about, about the stories of this person. Now, let me tell you, it's true. It's true. I've seen it. Oh, and I've been to this church and I, and I met this person over here and, and this woman over here who was doing, who's making an incredible impact on the people there. And, and this guy over here who's opened up his house and, and he's being persecuted for it. And, and this one over here, he, they've spent time in jail with me. And, and this guy over here, they, they didn't have anything to give, but yet they, they, they brought us in and they, they accepted us and they, they introduced us to somebody else so, so that the gospel could be spread. And what I'm telling you is that, that there are so many people. The church is a diverse church. It was, it was so much more than just Peter and Paul and the apostles and, and the rest of the disciples of Jesus. The church was comprised of people just like you and me who played a significant role in the spread of the gospel. Sometimes we can, we, we can read the, the scriptures and, and we see like the, the main characters and they, they're the ones that, you know, that they deservedly get, you know, a lot of the, the, the glory as far as, you know, looking at the impact that they had. But there are so many others who played such a vital role in the, the early church, and not just the early church, but the church throughout the ages. Well, there are men and women, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, educated, un, uneducated, all of these individuals who were used by God in the early church. People who had careers inside the church and outside the church. People who sacrificed their lives for the church. Well, the church is a diverse church. It is that the church always was something that it was made up of people, not just, not just of, of those who, uh, you know, who, who stand in front or, or, uh, you know, of the ones who are called to places of ministry, as in, as in the fivefold ministry of apostle or prophet or pastor, teacher, evangelist. It's not just them, but it is the saints who do the work of the ministry. And God has established a church and God is, is bringing, uh, God, God has established you to do a great work. And we have a role to play in this global church. We have a role to play in this global church that God has, uh, God has continued to, uh, to, to, to allow to, to grow and to, to have a, a revival that's taking place in these days. I believe, church, that we are in the last days. That we right now are living in the last days. 
And in the last days, there's two things that are going to happen. There will be a great falling away. There's going to be a great falling away. It's, it's, it's prophesied in Scripture that there will be those in the last days that, uh, that they will heap their, or their, their ears will be turned to, uh, to whatever doctrines that sound good. And there's, there's going to be a lot of people that, that they're just going to, going to, going to uh, set aside the things that, uh, that were foundational as far as what, uh, what was taught in Scripture. And, and they're going to take the easy path. But even though there's going to be a great falling away, there will be a great and mighty harvest in the last days. And in the, in the face of those who had turned their backs on God, there are those that are hungry and searching and saying, God, I want something that is alive. God, I want something that can quicken my spirit. Lord, I want something that can change me. God, I'm searching for something that's real. And when somebody with that kind of an attitude and that kind of a heart comes searching for God, he says, here I am. And he will pour out his spirit in the last days. And the, the latter rain is going to be greater than the former rain. And the harvest, the end time harvest is going to be the greatest harvest that has ever, ever taken place. And I believe that this church is going to take a part in that. That we are going to play a part in the end time harvest that is coming to pass. Amen. It was Jesus Christ that established this church from the very beginning. This was the church was established by these words is in Matthew chapter 16 verse 18. Jesus speaking to the disciples, he pointedly to to Peter, he said, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter had just had the revelation of who Jesus was. Just had the revelation that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. He was the one who had come to take away the sins of the world. And he said it was upon the, that revelation, upon that rock, that he was going to build that church. And if, he, if he's the one who was going to build it, if he was the one who established it, this is this is the, um, he is the one who is able to, to set out the blueprints for how the church ought to, uh, ought to be built. Jesus was the one who started it. He's the one who, who gets to, uh, write the blueprints for the church. See, the church must be built according to the blueprints of the one to whom it belongs. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 23, in 24, it says that you are bought with a price. Be not you the servants of men, brethren. Let every man wherein he is called, therefore, abide with God. That he purchased the church. God purchased the church. In fact, this is the only thing that he ever really had to purchase. But he, he purchased the church by giving his own life for it. He purchased us. He purchased the church and he, when he did so, he, he was establishing this as, as the very thing that he said, this is something I'm willing to give my life for is, is a church that will rise up and establish my kingdom here on earth. 
And so if he would give his life for it, amen, let, let's not allow us to just make this a, into a country club. I don't want this just to be something that's just a gathering in where we get to come and meet a few new people and we make our life a little bit better. But I want to do this the way that Jesus Christ has set forth for the church to operate. I want us to meet and to, to operate in the, in the, within the blueprints, within the pattern that Jesus established for the church to, to go and to, to operate. Amen. I'm, I'm way behind on time. So we're going to flip over to the back and we're going to look at four essential elements of the church. Four essential elements of the church. The first of which is the element of holiness. The second is that of prayer. The third is love. And the fourth is demonstration. Four essential elements of the church. Throughout all of history, God has made it clear that he expects the people who are devoted to him to live separately and distinctly different from those who are around them. You go all the way back to the early pages of the the Old Testament, you can see this expectation of, of living separate. Once sin entered into the world, God says, I want you to shun sin. I want you to separate yourself from that which is sinful and do it unto me. And, and we see this pattern of, of holiness. We see this expectation of holiness that uh, has always been part of what God expects of his people. And that did not change when we get to the church age. In fact, it was just reiterated. We see that in First Peter 1, 15 and 16. We see uh, Peter reiterating that which was stated in Leviticus. He said, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, because it's written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And we ought to be holy as a church. We ought to be set apart. The church ought to be different. We ought to behave different, act different, look different. We ought to not blend in with the world. This, there ought to be a separation between what the church acts like and what the world acts like. There ought to be a difference in, in the, the words that come out of our mouth. And not, and I'm not just talking about using foul language, but the types of conversations that we are in. Any kind of words that might cut somebody down. That not, that ought not be the type of conversation of the church. It ought not not be the the type of conversation of somebody who would spread gossip. Amen. This is, this is part of holiness. This is part of, of what it means to act different, to be different, to, to be set apart unto God. Amen. That we as the church, so the church is a, is, is set apart as holy. That is a fundamental element of the church of Jesus Christ. But let's move on. To uh, element number two, which is prayer. The church was established in prayer. It was established in a prayer meeting. Jesus was the one who, who he, he was 
he was uh, the foundation of the church. But when he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem and that's where you're going to receive the promise. That was really, that was the, the birthplace or the, the very beginning uh, working of what Jesus promised there in Matthew 16. And then we see in Acts chapter 4, let's go to Acts 4, verse 31. In Acts 4.31, we see the church binding together once again. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. And they were all assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. They began to pray and, and something began to change in the atmosphere. They prayed and, and it says that they were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That God came into that room and he didn't just come in to the room, but he came in inside of them and he, he changed them. They spake the word of God with boldness. Then let's go to Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. The church... When, when situations arose, the church turned to prayer. I, I've got, I've got some just amazing stories that we could tell, some amazing testimonies. And I'm gonna save, I'm gonna save one of them that, something that happened this week. Amen. Of somebody who is sitting here in this congregation right now of a miracle that took place because of prayer. Amen. A miracle that took place. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna save that for a minute. But there was a miracle that happened when the church, miracles can happen when the church prays. Miracles can happen. Come on, church. We saw it last week, in fact, right here in this place. As we began to march around this place. As we began to march around the perimeter of this building. And all of a sudden, the end of that miracles began to happen. Miracles took place right here because miracles can happen when the church prays. You can see it all throughout the book of Acts, which that's the place to go if you want to see how the church ought to behave and how the church ought to um, operate it's in the book of Acts because that's the actions of the church, the actions of that the apostles who started that original church there and we see them in Acts chapter 1 that they prayed for God's guidance in Acts chapter 4 they prayed and they received boldness they they prayed when they anointed leaders in Acts chapter 6 they prayed and the Holy Ghost came in in Acts chapter 8 they prayed in Acts chapter 9 and healing came they prayed uh, so that they could go and they could spread the gospel in Acts chapter 13 they prayed in Acts chapter 14 uh, so that they would adhere to the gospel they prayed in Acts chapter 16 so that they could receive communion with God or unity with God and what what a powerful thing prayer is. And church, we must learn to pray. We must be, we must learn to have a, a habit of prayer. We, we must become a church that prays first. That when, when things come our ways, that we turn to prayer. That we turn to prayer. This next element of the church is that of love and unity. Colossians chapter 3. Let's go, go there. Colossians chapter 3 verse number 12. It says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, 
bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Above all these things, put on charity or put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Amen. Let us dwell together in unity and in charity, which charity is this agape type of love. It's a love feast. It's a, it's a love that knows no boundaries, a love that has no end. It's a, it's a love that, that it goes beyond that which you would think, you would think is normal. It's a radical kind of love. That's the type of love that God has for us. And God says, I want you to have that same kind of love for one another. I'm talking about the church. This ought to be, this ought to be the, the part of, or this ought to be the element of, of what we exhibit. This ought to be the things that we are exhibiting as, as part of the church. That there is love and there is unity. Amen. Let the body of Christ come together in love and unity, caring for one another and lifting up one another. And when we have a burden, come on, that we would come alongside one another in love and in unity with each other. Let's see it there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, For as the body is one, and it has many members, and all the members of that one body being many, they are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or we be Gentiles, whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but it is many. So what he's saying is there is going to be a lot of diversity in the church. And thank God for it. There's going to be a lot of people that are pretty different from you and I. And I'm thankful for it. Amen. But let's not allow our differences to cause disunity. Amen. But let us come together and bind together in love and link arms with one another and, and cross the aisle and say, hey, I, I see you and I, and I, and I know that our past uh, to where we're at have been very different, but I want to get to know you for who you are and I want you to know who I am so that we can come together as one body. Amen. For we are one church and the church operates as a body where and it operates best when there's people with differences that begin to come together. There's people that they, they have different strengths and different weaknesses. Well, there's is, is there anybody in here who who uh, you're, you're comfortable getting in front of people? And you've been able to get in front of people and kind of talk, and you're comfortable with that. 
Yeah, we got some hands in here. Is there anybody in here who is totally uncomfortable with that? Getting in front of people? Yeah? Yeah, oh, they don't, not, is there anybody in here who uh, uh, doesn't even want to raise their hand because you're not comfortable with that? Just shake your head, just nod your head just a little bit. <laughs> well, that's just like one little aspect of, of the, the different strengths that you may have. And, and we can all, there's a place for all of us. There's a place for, for you, no matter if you want to get in front of people or if you're not comfortable getting in front of people, there's a place for you. If, uh, you know, whatever strength and whatever weakness you have, there's a place in the body of Christ for you. So let us come together and let us, let us, uh, find the, the place that we fit in, in the body of Christ. See, the Corinthian church was admonished by Paul for their lack of brotherly love, the divisions that they had among the body of believers. Paul, he said, I praise you not for allowing contention to be in your midst whenever you meet. And I'm thankful that I don't feel that here. I don't feel the contention when we come together. I feel the love and the love of the body. I feel the love of the church in this place. Amen. I love gathering together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I love you. Amen. I'm so thankful that we can come together and we feel the unity among the, the saints. And I, I, there's nothing like that to be able to come together and to, to, to bind together and say, come on, we're in this with each other. And when that begins to happen, when there is a church that is holy, and when there is a church that has learned to pray, and when there is a church that is together in unity, that's when this fourth element really begins to shine. And that is the demonstration of the Spirit. The demonstration of the Spirit is a crucial element of the church. No, I mean the demonstration of the Spirit. I'm talking about miracles and signs and wonders. I'm talking about healings that will take place. I'm talking about people being filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about people having their sins washed away. I'm talking about, come on, the, the lame who would walk into church and they would leave completely healed. I'm talking about people who are in complete wrecks of relationships and God begins to put them back together. Come on, because they come into unity with one another. I'm talking about, come on, the demonstration of the things that can only take place when, when this, when this, we are together in unity and in prayer and we are a, a holy church and God begins to come and to, to, to send his spirit in and to do a work that is supernatural. We can go to first, or, yeah, to first Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12. We'll end with the scripture here today. Even so you for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Amen. The spiritual gifts ought to be present in the church. The demonstration of the spirit, I believe, is we are we are ripe for it. Amen. We are we are already experiencing it. Amen. But let's allow us to have the elements of the church present. All of these elements here. Come on, let us come together. In fact, could we just all stand here in this place right now? Amen. We are all members of the 
global church, but let's allow us here to find our place right here in Kinderville where we are gathered right now and to say, if I can pray and believe for revival halfway across the world, and if I can pray for the burdens of of somebody who's going through that, let me also be able to pray for the person that's just down the row from me, just across the aisle from me. Let me also be able to pray and to be in unity with the one who I, I, I'm able to see the differences because I'm around them a lot more often. And, then I, and I feel some, some, some tension sometimes because our personalities are different. Come on, but let us come together and begin to still carry one another's burdens and to pray for one another. Let us come together in unity and, and in prayer. And let us come together right now. Amen. Lift each other up. Could we just right now, where it's appropriate, just grab somebody's hand that's, that's next to you.